0: If you don't strike immediately when somebody accuses you of serious wrongdoing and retaliate and denominate the other guy as a liar, you have to do that, um, your client begins to fall under the cloud because there is no presumption of innocence. Quite the contrary. Most people who are charged are guilty. The public knows it. And they don't presume people innocent unless they like them in the courtroom.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast. And yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from
3: just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams from sunny Southern California, coming to you from just outside of Los Angeles, California. And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. And I know you write a couple of blogs. I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law. Uh,
2: And uh, just a footnote, this this week or next week, somewhere around here, marks the fifth anniversary of this program. We've been doing this for five years. We started out uh, with a program called Coast to Coast uh, and uh, changed the name along the way to Lawyer to Lawyer. But uh, Craig, it's been a real pleasure to do this with you and a a real pleasure to work with the folks at the Legal Talk Network uh, over all of these years now.
3: Well, thank you, Bob, and happy anniversary to all of us.
2: Uh, Well, uh, recently, former Major League Baseball pitcher Roger Clemens was indicted by a federal grand jury on charges that he allegedly lied to Congress back in 2008 when he testified that he never used performance-enhancing drugs. Clemens was charged with three counts of making false statements, two counts of perjury, and one count of obstruction of Congress. Uh, Clemens recently called into the big show, a program on Boston sports radio station, WEEI to talk about the indictment, uh, along with his attorney, Rusty Harden. Here's a quick clip of what he had to say.
0: Well, again, I'm not going to get into details. All I'm going to tell you is that uh, I learned a lot. Uh, my eyes were opened by some of the things that, that, that happened and did not happen. And, um, like I said, uh, uh Rusty's going to be, uh, he's, he's been great through this. And, uh, um we've been together every step of the way. And, um, you know, the only thing I tell you that, you know, there are some friends and family that, um, you know, again, they shake their head at it. But, you know, we're going to we're going to deal with it, guys. I don't know what us to really say. I mean, uh, we're going to deal with it and um, um, just,
2: you know, have our
3: day. Well, Bob, some legal experts believe that perjury is very difficult to prove, while others believe that the physical evidence and testimony of Clemens' former trainer, Brian McNamee, could send Clemens to prison. Clemens recently took to his Twitter page and said, I never took HGH or steroids, and I did not lie to Congress. I look forward to challenging the government's accusations and hope people will keep an open mind until trial. I appreciate all the support I've been getting. I'm happy to finally have my day in court. Well, and just this week, uh, the federal judge overseeing the Roger Clemens perjury case has issued a gag order instructing Clemens, lawyers, and witnesses to refrain from speaking out.
2: Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at this indictment, uh, at the uh, prosecution and defense sides of the case, uh, some of the evidence in the case, uh, potential credibilities of testimony, and uh, other issues surrounding all of this. Uh, And to do that, we have two guests to help us talk about the case today. Uh, First off, joining us today is renowned criminal defense lawyer F. Lee Bailey. Uh, Mr. Bailey is a distinguished trial lawyer, author, lecturer. His phenomenally successful career has been highlighted by such well-known cases as those of Dr. Sam Shepard, Dr. Carl Coppolino, the Boston Strangler, Patty Hearst, Who's a member of the legal defense team for O.J. Simpson. We're very pleased to have on the program today, F. Lee Bailey. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Bob, our next guest is Michael Schmidt. He is a reporter for the New York Times. Michael broke the story on the Roger Clemens indictment and has covered a range of sports topics, including performance-enhancing drugs and legal issues. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Michael Schmidt. Thanks for having me. Well, Michael, just to get started, can you kind of give us an overview of what happened, how you got the story, and what's, what's in store for us?
4: Well, what happened last Thursday was that, you know, the indictment became public in the Clemens case. It was nothing unexpected. Uh, it was something that, was, you know, that everyone thought was going to happen. Clemens obviously went before Congress in 2008. It was clear that either he or McNamee was, was not telling the truth. And the government has investigated since then. Uh, to some people, it was a long time for them to investigate. To others, you know, they just kind of understood that this is how the system works. And the charges came out last week, and they were pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, accusing Clemens of lying about his use of drugs and about some of the uh, the injections he said he got. And you know, from there, building out you know obstruction of Congress charges. And um, it was pretty. It was a pretty straightforward thing. And. It was a step that a lot of people thought was coming.
2: Lee, uh, well, I was going to ask Lee, I, I know you've you've had a chance to look at the indictment. Uh, perhaps you could give us your general impressions of this case.
0: You know, it's an all-too-typical case where there is no charge on the underlying offense, and that was uh, supposedly using steroids, but it reminds me of the trial of Judge Otto Kerner of the uh, Seventh Circuit, who was a former governor and General in the National Guard. He did not get hooked for any of the charges except lying to IRS agents. And that's a box you get put in every time you get forced to the stand, and for political reasons, cannot take the fifth. This case to me boils down to a question as to whether or not Rusty Harden can get to McNamee and Andy Pettit, who is a formidable ancillary witness, so to speak, in such a way as to raise a reasonable doubt. I think if he can, Washington juries tend to pay some respect to a reasonable doubt, whereas other juries uh, tend to brush it aside.
3: Well, we've seen some public reaction from this, Michael. What... what, Is there a lot of support for Roger? Or people, is this a general situation where the the populace as a whole believes that uh, Clemens is is guilty, or or what's the general sense of this?
4: Seems like a lot of a lot of baseball fans believe that Clemens uh, lied to Congress and have sort of put him in that category of drug users or of alleged drug users, like you know Barry Bonds and the other you know players that were named in the Mitchell report, where Clemens was named back in two thousand and seven. So it doesn't seem like Clemens has much support at all. He has a personal services contract with the Houston Astros that they've never used. They've never asked him. Uh, I don't. I don't believe they've asked him to come in and work with the team uh, that much. And he had, a, you know, he had this special contract with them. So he's sort of an outsider in baseball. And uh, compared to Pettit, who you know went on to win a World Series with the Yankees last year, and everyone sort of forgets the fact that he admitted to using uh, human growth hormone.
2: Michael, you wrote an article earlier this week in, in which you said that uh, you outlined what the, could be seen as a possible flaw in the legal case against Roger Clemens. Uh, c- could you elaborate on that?
4: Yeah, it's an argument dating back to, to the 1950s that we used in a case called a Cardi. And that was um, connected to a, a man who was accused of making false statements to Congress in connection with uh, a murder or uh, that had occurred during World War II. And the argument is that Congress uh that perjury charges related to Congress can only uh be prosecuted if the if Congress is actually acting in a uh is actually acting within its constitutional rights of making laws and of doing Congress's oversight or you know or creating laws. And there's an argument that this lawyer that I quoted in Washington um re- Reginald Brown, who said that basically that the charges he would argue may not hold up because Congress was simply holding a perjury trial itself. Now, many people don't agree with this, but it's certainly a different way of looking at the case.
2: That Reginald Brown is a, a former special assistant to President Bush and an associate White House general counsel, formerly. Uh, Lee, do you have a do you have a thought on that? On on, I, I mean, was this was this. Congress's business in the first place, and if it wasn't, does that, uh, does that affect the indictment?
0: Well, there's an interesting angle, and I like the Acardi case, and I think applying it uh, would be uh, a good tactic on the part of defense counsel. But if you were called before a grand jury, and the government thought they had you, they had to give you a target letter and warn you exactly what they were accusing you of, and that you could be indicted, and if you chose to testify anyway, that was your risk. I don't think there is such a phenomenon in congressional testimony, but I would certainly argue that Clemens should have been told up front that he was going to be indicted and his testimony could only do him harm.
3: Well, Leib, we've seen uh, Brian McNamee hand over physical evidence to the feds and supposedly includes syringes with steroids and Clemens DNA. And that's going to be part of the prosecution's argument as a defense lawyer. What would you do to counter that?
0: Well, better separate out the syringe with his DNA to the syringes that had steroids in it. I believe, and I'm not on the case and therefore not up on the details as I might be, but I believe uh, Clemens agreed that he had some shots but said they weren't steroids. So that needle and that drug have to match, number one, and then we have to show that there was nothing else in there before. I mean, the trial is on McNamee. If the jury doesn't believe him, I don't think Pettit can carry uh, to a conviction. But I do think that McNamee, with the corroboration of Pettit, is a formidable burden for defense counsel to
3: handle. Well, Pettit claims that that Clemens has admitted to him in 1999 or 2000 that he'd used human growth hormones. Uh, How do we expect to see Pettit's uh, written statement come in?
0: I don't know if his written statement will come in. He can be forced to testify, but uh, he made that statement not in a confrontational atmosphere, but to please somebody so that he, Pettit, would not have his career ruined, as many have been by this steroids investigation. And I think in Washington, there's not much risk in attacking Pettit, saying he's looking out for himself and saying what he knew they wanted to hear, whereas in New York, that might be a dangerous strategy.
2: Michael, I wonder if you could bring us back to the, to the, uh, the uh, sort of scenario that, that brought Clemens uh, before Congress, this, this, this Mitchell report. Uh, what, was, what was that about, and how did it come to be?
4: What happened was is that in 2006, after being battered by years of bad publicity about performance-enhancing drugs, Commissioner Bud Selig asked George Mitchell to lead an internal investigation in baseball into the use of performance-enhancing drugs. And it was, you know, about a year later that Kirk Radomsky, a former Mets clubhouse attendant, pled guilty to federal charges of distributing uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And as part of his plea agreement, the, the feds said, you have to cooperate with Mitchell. Rodomsky provided Mitchell with information, including information about Brian McNamee, who was Clemens's trainer. McNamee was also compelled by the feds to meet with Mitchell and told Mitchell that Clemens, Pettit, and Chuck Knobloch had used performance-enhancing drugs based on stuff that he had provided them. So that so then in December of 2007, Clemens is named in the Mitchell report based on McNamee's statements. Clemens immediately launches an attack on McNamee, um, saying that McNamee made this up and you know that he's been wronged here. And you know about a month later, Congress, the House Oversight Committee. Which had killed baseball on the issue of steroids back at that famous two thousand and five hearing with Mark McGuire and Rafael Palmero and Sammy Sosa says, Okay, well let's do our own investigation into the Mitchell report and see, you know, and you know, Clement is questioning whether, you know, it's a truthful report. We believe this report is, you know, important to baseball. And they began an investigation that culminated in the February two thousand and eight hearing. And then within, you know, days after that. They asked the Department of Justice to open an investigation into Clemens, not McNamee.
3: And, Lee, what ex- what role do you expect the Mitchell report to play in this trial? George Mitchell? Yeah, the con- the, the report that basically broke the issue between McNamee and, and uh, Clemens.
0: Well, I've got a uh, issue of a caution because I'm very, very fond of George Mitchell. I attended a testimonial in his honor the other night in Waterville, Maine, He's a man of great integrity and great patience. And I think that his report probably created a presumption of guilt for the people who named in the report because it was very thorough. And that kind of supports my notion that since the Justice Department opened an investigation in 08 against Clemens, whether they opened it immediately before or immediately after his testimony, that he should have been given a warning that Congress might be being used as a vehicle to create a criminal charge, because all of the charges stem out of his appearance before Congress. None stem out of the use of steroids, which technically, at least, was illegal.
2: And yet, that's going to be a key issue. I mean, in order, if I, if I understand it, in order for the the government to prove this case, they would essentially have to prove that Clemens used steroids, and and that that therefore was was what he lied about. Uh, am I is is that rightly? I mean, is is that what they have to show here?
0: Yes, absolutely. They they have to prove the statements false, and uh, unfortunately, convictions have come rather easily in a circumstances like these, but there's one big exception, and this probably was the downfall of Otto Kerner. The jury didn't like him. He seemed pompous. Uh, he seemed above it all. And uh, they said so afterwards. Now, if this jury likes Roger Clements, and bear in mind, baseball is a sport where an awful lot of uh, minorities have gotten a start and become famous and wealthy. If the jury likes Clements they will try to find a reason to acquit him. And if they try hard enough, they will.
3: Well, Michael, we're seeing now that Barry Bonds is scheduled for trial in March on charges. He made false statements to a grand jury. Uh, how is Bonds' case like Clemens' case? Well,
4: they're similar in, in the sense that they're, they've both been indicted for making false statements. You know, Bonds before you know a grand jury and Clemens obviously before Congress, but they're very different in many other ways. In the Clemens case, his trainer, Greg Anderson, went to jail and refused to testify about substances he gave Clemens. In you know, obviously in the, the case of Clemens, it's the trainer who's the chief witness. in Bonds' case, Bonds said that, you know, he he took the substances, he just didn't think that they were drugs. He didn't think that they were performance enhancing drugs. In Clemens' case, it's much more of a black and white issue with a flat it's a flat denial. Clemens will be in Washington, which is not his home turf, and Bonds will be in San Francisco, where he essentially has been a hero for the past, you know, two decades, and you know, you know, help create, you know, you know, a large fan base there, and help them build a new ballpark, you know, because of his star power. So, you know, there there are several differences
3: there. Lee, are we going to see a parade of baseball players coming in? You know, Jose Canseco submitted an affidavit defending Clemens, and I'm sure there's going to a lot of baseball players that have seen Roger in the in the uh, locker room. Uh, as a defense attorney, would you want to bring some star power to this trial?
0: Absolutely, and I would want to bring some star power that a minority jury in Washington, which is inevitable, would like. But In fair comment on the Bonds case, it's better to defend, and it's worse. When Barry Bonds went before a grand jury, he had a target letter. Uh, Otherwise, these cases would be thrown out against him and elected to testify anyway. So that issue, which might help Clemens, is not there. But San Francisco juries are unpredictable. They can be um, pretty good for the defense. The Michael Jackson case, a lot of people expected a conviction. He didn't get it. That's kind of a a California, let's say, demeanor among jurors on balance. I think if my life depended on it, I would prefer to defend bonds. But I must say, I think it's inevitable, unless the case is going horribly and nobody wants to put their appearance in I think it's inevitable that some very, very popular and prominent baseball players will be on on the defense side. I don't look for any except Pettit to be on the prosecution side.
2: Well, how likely is it that this case is even going to go to trial in the first place?
0: Well, I think it's inevitable that it'll go to trial because there's no room for a plea. Bear in mind, when the feds indict you, they use a shotgun. They put in a bunch of charges, and all they really want is a conviction on one. So... In order to win the case, you have to win every single count. Uh, If he were to plead to a count, these are felonies. It would have enormous consequences in the rest of his life. He really has very little to lose by going to trial except the possibility of doing a few months in a minimum security prison as against walking out with the stigma of a guilty plea hanging around his neck forever.
2: Michael, is that how you see it? Do you think it's inevitable that this case is going to go to trial? And what do you think that trial is going to shape up to look like?
4: I think Clemens went all in on this, on his defense, you know, back before he went to Congress. And, you know, as we reported last week, he had a chance to get out of the the public testimony and the committee likely wouldn't have referred him if he didn't go to the public hearing and, and testify. So they've known what they were getting into all along. And they've said, look, the court of law, you know, you know, the courts is the only way where we are gonna be able to prove this definitively, that Brian McNamee made this up about Roger Clemens. And we're happy to take that risk because we believe so strongly that we that, that Clemens has been wronged. And Harden knows that and Clemens knows that. And that's what they've done since day one. So I wouldn't you know, I, I can't imagine any type of plea here at all. And certainly in Bonds' case, you know, this has been out there, the charges have been out there for three years. Scheduled to go to trial in March. There's no indication whatsoever that Bonds is going to plead. And even if Bonds is convicted, he probably won't even go to jail. The other, the other defendants in the Balco case who uh, were convicted of making false statements have not done jail time. So,
3: well, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more with Michael Schmidt from the New York Times and F. Lee Bailey regarding the Roger Clemens indictment and what we're going to be seeing in the future.
1: Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC.
5: Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount.
1: Engage your brain. Keep up with the fast pace of the legal perfection. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all of our great legal podcasts. They're free. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not?
5: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.
1: Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them?
5: It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: Perfect. I'll do that right now.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're talking about the indictment of baseball great Roger Clemens, joined by legendary trial lawyer attorney F. Lee Bailey and New York Times reporter Michael Schmidt, the, the reporter who broke the story of the indictment. Uh, Lee, it sounded to me that you had just started to say something as we went into break, and I didn't want to cut you off. Was there something you had wanted to say about that?
0: Yes, uh, and that is this. Roger Clemens went on the offensive right away, came out and called the other guy a liar. Obviously, one of the two is. If back to me is lying and gets away with it, is a tragedy and a grave injustice. Um, if Clemens is believed he's acquitted, he'll still have a cloud hanging over his head. Unless, and this is an ideal case for polygraph, because you have two witnesses talking about the same incident, neither can be mistaken. One of them is inevitably lying, and the polygraph, when used in what is called the Morin Protocol, when you have two opposing people, both testable, is accurate well into the 98-99 percentile, and the Supreme Court of the United States has left the door open for anyone can prove this is a reliable instrument. So if one of the two, and the government doesn't like to give its witnesses polygraphs because they're too often disappointed, if one of the two were to take a polygraph on the specific act which the jury is going to have to sort out, that is knowingly receiving an injection of HGH. Uh, The polygraph could solve that question very easily. The evidence could be with a proper foundation received. And I think the nation would breathe much more easily if it really knew who was telling the truth. Right now, most people have to conceive that they probably never will for sure.
3: Michael, we've we've seen uh, Roger Clemens talk about his attorney Rusty Harden having been with him for a period of time. What do we know about Rusty Harden, and what kind of team is he going to assemble to try this case?
4: Well, Rusty's a very outgoing, uh, sort of larger than life character, sort of like Clemens. He is uh, very talkative, and was the lead person to go after Maxime right after the accusations came out. It was Harden that sent investigators to meet with McNamee. It was Harden who went on, you know, on the airwaves and, you know, was very open to the media and really hammered this thing uh, really hard. And Harden sort of started, you know, put his chips in with Clemens's and they sort of have, you know, been tethered together on this because I think a lot of Harden's reputation is on the line as well because, you know, if this results in, you know, Clemens getting, you know, Vindicated and Harden, will, you know, will lo- be looked at as this sort of, you know, brilliant guy that, you know, made a, you know, made a, you know, an interesting choice back in 2007 and, you know, got got his client uh, vindicated. On the other hand, if, you know, if Clemens goes to jail, everyone will say that Hardin was a terrible lawyer because he he wasn't able to get his client um, to tell the truth and actually brought charges on his client that never, never would, that his client easily, you know, could have avoided. So uh, that's that's sort of what, sort of how I see it.
3: Lee, coming into this, I mean, you've certainly been through the things that Rusty Harden is looking at that Michael just talked about. Give us a sense of how you feel as an attorney going into such a high-profile case.
0: Well, I think Rusty Harden did the right thing. I commend him for it, because when you are defending a celebrity who has a reputation, followers, and detractors, If you don't strike immediately when somebody accuses you of serious wrongdoing and retaliate and denominate the other guy as a liar, you have to do that, um, your client begins to fall under the cloud because there is no presumption of innocence, quite the contrary. Most people who are charged are guilty, the public knows it, and they don't presume people innocent unless they like them in the courtroom. Now, the risk, that is, if your client is not telling the truth and you have denounced the liar, corroboration may come up, and arguably the needles could be that, that make this guy credible and Clemens not credible. But I think under the circumstances, and if I had confidence in my client, I would have done exactly what Rusty Harden did, and that snapped the whip immediately. So the public couldn't get lulled into a sense that Roger's silence equated with guilt on his part.
3: So Lee, after trying so many cases, do you still get butterflies going to trial on a new case?
0: No, I never got butterflies. And I started my civilian career by trying a capital case. And I mean, capital, they would have given the guy the chair had he gone away. And I got in it by a fluke. But I think after uh, a few carrier landings in the Marine Corps, there aren't many things that give you butterflies, and the worst thing in the world is to have a lawyer whose confidence is rattling around inside his ribcage. Um, you have to believe in yourself. You have to know when to believe in your client. And to quote my friends in the core, you have to be ready to kick ass and take names.
2: Well, the government, of course, bears the burden of proof in this case. And if it, if it does come down to... Uh somewhat of a, a he, shed, he said, she said situation here. Uh, is it all in, in the uh, corroborating evidence? Uh, is the government going to be able to bear its its burden uh, in this case? I mean, Michael, what do you think? Is the evidence there based on what you've seen so far?
4: Oh, I wouldn't want to uh, speculate, you know, about, you know, the, I mean, look, it seems like, you know, on the surface it's a strong case, but, you know, there's also a lot of questions about Maxime Whatever, and obviously they wouldn't have brought it if they didn't think it was strong. One question I have for Lee, though, is something he's alluded to a few times, is what is the difference between a Washington jury and a San Francisco jury, and how does that help Clemens? Clemens is a Republican. He's this, you know, brash guy from Texas. Um, How would a jury in Washington look at him?
0: Well, a jury in Washington is going to be principally minorities and principally African-American. They have been for years just as in Detroit, Chicago, and Oakland. Uh, and I've tried a lot of cases in front of black jurors. And I think they'll give Roger a clear shot. Bear in mind, they have an ancestry that was kicked around and unfairly treated. If they get the view that someone's trying to make an example out of Roger wrongfully, there's no way to convict him. On the other hand, they're not bleeding hearts. They're sensible people. and There are two big hurdles, tipping points, I would call them, in Roger's defense that Busty Harden has got to surmount. One is the corroboration furnished by the needles and the DNA. DNA is hard to fight, but if it's a tiny speck that was cloned in order to get the sample, as it was in the OJ case, it doesn't carry much weight. And the other very formidable tipping point is Andy Pettit. So one has to throw really uh, strong fireballs at them in terms of their self-interest, looking out for themselves and benefiting by being traitors against Roger Clemens. I would say the case comes down to this. If McNamee's demeanor is bad, or if the jury doesn't like him, the door to acquittal is cracked. And if Andy Pettit doesn't make a very favorable impression on the jury. One way or the other, the door is open.
3: Well, we're reaching uh, near the end of our program. And, uh, Michael, before we before we get your final thoughts, it seems that uh, there's the prosecution is almost attempting to take over what Congress didn't do. What's, what's your thought on that?
4: Well, I think that Congress went as far as they could go. They held their own investigation, and they can't send people to jail, and instead they asked the Justice Department to, to, you know, try and put this person in jail for lying. And I think the larger message about it is that the federal government feels that when people sit down in front of Congress, regardless whether it's BP or Goldman Sachs or whatever it is, that they should tell the truth. And even if they're celebrities or not, they think that they were lied to, and they're going to do everything they can to protect that power, so Congress can investigate and you know do what they think Congress needs
3: to do. Well, Lee, let's let's leap off what Michael just said. Is this case more about lying to Congress or is this about steroids and baseball? Which side would you take?
0: Well, I think the case is very much about both. You have to prove one to establish the other, and you might prove one without establishing the other. My overview, just based on what. I have learned that without going into any of the critical facts like McNamee's credibility and how to destroy it, my overview is it's a tough case, but it's a case that well could be won. I would not reject this case if it came to my doorstep.
3: Well, maybe we'll see you on a team. And we, we have just reached the, uh, about the end of our program. We need to get your final thoughts and wrap up along with your contact information to let our listeners reach out to you if they have any further questions. So, Michael, let's start with you. Uh,
4: I, my final thought on this would be that we could see something very interesting next year in which Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in the you know, period of weeks or months uh, could go to trial at the same time. The two best players of the past 25 years, won the slugger, won the pitcher, and, you know, both, you know, one the all-time home run leader, the other one, one more Cy Young's the same one. And that would be a pretty fascinating thing to see, especially because it would once again resurrect, the, you know, the so-called steroid era in baseball and, you know, be a way of, you know, sort of reliving that. And uh, it would put, a, you know, a lot, of, a lot of credibility and history on the line.
3: And Lee, and we we should mention that Lee has a show as well on the Legal Talk Network, uh, The Legal Profession Today and Personal Reflections, a series of shows featuring F. Bailey. So uh, you can go to the Legal Talk Network and review those. But Lee, let's get your final thoughts and your contact information for our listeners.
0: Well, I kind of endorse what Mike said. It's going to be quite a year for professional baseball and frankly professional sports. They're all lumped in together when it comes to building up body mass through taking what are now, but didn't used to be, illegal drugs. Uh, If the juries in San Francisco and Washington really buy the presumption of innocence, I would expect to see two acquittals.
3: And Lee, if our listeners want to reach out to you, how should they try and get a hold of you? Uh, You have the number and the only number. Okay, very good. Well, Bob, that wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. It's been a great show talking about Roger Clemens with F. Lee Bailey and Michael Schmidt for The New York Times. And for our listeners, don't forget that uh, you can get all of our podcasts at the Legal Talk Network on iTunes.
2: And let me uh, add my thanks to uh, Michael and Lee for taking the time to be with us today and share their thoughts on the indictment of Roger Clemens. I really appreciate your time. Thanks to both of you for being on the program today.
3: Thank you. Our listeners can get the continuing legal education credits through West Legal Ed Center and listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcast. You can go to the LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center for those credits. We'll see you again next week.
2: Talk to you next week, Craig.
1: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
3: The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis